Welcome to Mandy, the ABA and ADT, the OTs podcast. We are two women across two time zones, from two cultures, two allied health fields, offering two very different perspectives. Yet we have a common goal of breaking down barriers and creating breakthroughs to promote interprofessional collaboration. Well, hello, everyone, OTs, ABAs, SLPs, RBTs, educators, students, and of course, collaborators. Welcome to our eighth episode where we shine the light metaphorically on challenging behavior. This is often a stumbling block for all therapists, and it is inevitably the major issue that hinders progress for clients and evokes anxiety for everyone all around. So we thought we would jump into that topic today. Yes, today we discussed a little boy that I worked with on the autism spectrum with aggressive behaviour in his repertoire who was receiving intensive ABA and weekly OT sessions and how we were going to share how we collaborated to develop a behaviour protocol that could be incorporated both into his ABA sessions and to his OT sessions to address his aggression. We discussed OT and ABA collaboration and how that worked and prescribe a method for successful implementation of OT programming while addressing reduction of aggression. We have a handout to explain a protocol you can assist use to assist you and how to respond to problem behaviour if you don't have an ABA that you're working with to assist you. It's called the light switch on and light switch off protocol and we'll, that will be in our materials. Oh, brilliant. Uh, yeah, I think it'll be in our resources too and show notes, uh, easily accessible. So I do like to start with a study. And one study found that as many as 22 of young children with autism exhibit be- aggressive behaviours. That's a lot. And in current diagnosis rates for children of 1 in 54, that basically means that approximately 5 to 6 million children in the US have aggression issues Whoa, in their behavioural repertoire. And if you add that with sort of that developmental disability population, the number becomes quite significant. So it obviously impacts on carers and teams or therapists working with children and, um, you know, does require an enormous collaborative effect or collaborative effort, I should say, between professionals delivering these services. And it can be challenging for everyone involved, everyone. I know that when I've had a client with aggressive behaviours, I dread the sessions. So I'm really glad we're discussing this today because I think we're all in the same boat. Great. And this week's shout out goes to the Ask for Evidence campaign, an initiative of the charity organisation Sense About Science. It's an excellent resource to assist in how to ask for support of claims made about scientific backing of anything from a product being sold to government's claims about their use of scientific evidence in public policy. Their website includes lots of resources, including an evidence hunter pack pack designed for teenagers to help them develop the skills and confidence needed to critically assess claims they come across online and reduce the spread of false information. Uh, See our resources for links to both Sense About Science and their Ask for Evidence initiative. Oh, I love that. Great resource. Thank you, Mandy. So let's talk about this case study. We'll call him Sam. Can you tell me a little bit about the presentation with Sam? How did you come to work with Sam's OT? Yeah, sure. I first assessed Sam in, or Sam, we will call him Sam, in 2018. And at that time, he presented as, you know, I would say a highly distractible child with limited motivators and no functional language. But 
he wasn't displaying any aggression in my first two sessions of assessment with him. And his family weren't experiencing any aggression at home either. Uh, Sam was diagnosed with autism just after the age of two, which was very early, and had um, access to a variety of interventions by the time he came to me without hardly any success, according to his mother's account. But he was experiencing really high rates of both gross motor and verbal uh, self-stimulatory behaviours, which was, you know, highly interruptive to my assessment. Unfortunately, due to family circumstances, he didn't be sort of access intensive ABA services until 2020, and by that time he was eight. And when I saw him two years later, he had developed really high rates of aggression and dangerous behaviour, and he'd become really, really challenging to work with, and uh, his mother was seeking, you know, support to address these behaviours. So did the mum seek you out or the OT? Yeah, um, she had heard of other parents that were in my program and she initially came to me for behavioural intervention but later on um, asked if she would, you know, could commence OT with him. And right. as you can imagine, after six months of working with him intensively and addressing his aggression, I was, you know, really concerned about introducing another therapist that especially a lot of his aggression involved throwing materials. So, mm. which is what you <laughs> use a lot of. So, yeah, and he was, you know, needed shoe tying and all those sort of things. So I asked the mother whether she would allow me to engage with the OT and have her present in my sessions, assess him together using her assessments, but my assistance. And then having, you know, looked at her behavioral knowledge, we worked together to develop a modified version of our behavior plan that she could incorporate into her sessions. And then we did crossovers. So it was a really nice collaboration. Yeah. And was she open to it when you asked her? Very open to it because she was you know, working herself. She works both in paediatrics but also in autism. And she was working with a little boy that had similar behaviours and was literally dreading, you know, those sessions. Um, And, I, Mm. you know, it was actually on the day that I called her when she had just left one of the sessions where she took a bit of a pounding and the mother was, you know, obviously beside herself. Um, And, you know, she was like, I am on the verge of letting this client go because, you know, I just can't deal with the level of aggression that he has. Oh, gosh, been there. I've cried Mm. many times. (laughs) So generally speaking, what sounds like if sort of the aggression is not addressed early on, it can sort of like reinforce itself, right, and become a a bigger issue? Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, of course, everyone is different. Every child is different and every client is different. But in this particular situation, you know, I'm now – actually, he told me the other day that it was exactly 12 months. He has a – incredible memory and he can remember every session that he's ever had with us <laughs> and oh, um nice. and yeah he came along and said it's exactly 12 months today I don't know if you use that word exactly but he said it's 12 months today since I started at fit and I realized you know it to be honest it feels like five but that much of the intervention I would say that I don't have favorites but he is right on top of my list in terms of awesome kids that I work with and we literally fight over him in our clinic now. It's still he's going to work with him. Whereas once upon a time, I used to work with him 10 hours a week. And I would go, I used to have him last session on a Friday night. And I would, you know, roll out the door with exhaustion. And, you know, a lot of the times extremely distressed. 
and I won't say that lasted for a long time because it was a few months really, but you know, you could never relax with him just when you thought you were sort of building a rapport and, you know, our data was showing really good improvement on aggression. You know, you'd look away for a second and get a, you know, timer thrown in the side of your head, which happened to me (laughs) way too many times. But anyway, so yeah, I was, you know, it is, it's different with every child, but I think the reason that people had not succeeded with Sam previously is that they had assessed whether they'd sort of done that with any assessment tool or not, that he was attempting to get out of work. There was a couple of factors going on, but in the main, he was attempting to get attention and he just didn't know how to get that appropriately. So yeah, that was, you know, one of the things for him. That was very specific to Sam and it's not true for every child. So so did mum help you to sort of try to figure out what Sam liked? Because, you know, he's him being nonverbal, I figured it would be really hard for you to know what sort of reinforces or sensory things he enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, she was at a loss because she had tried a lot of different interventions and been actively involved in the early days herself. You know, unfortunately, through the course of meeting her and then starting intervention, eventually she went through a family break up so you know it was complicated by the fact that she had to go back to work full-time etc but she, she had you know from age two been really involved in his intervention and attempting she knew that you know one of the problems was these high rates of self-stimulatory behavior and not having anything to compete with that and in my initial assessment with him in 2018 while we used lollies in oh pause, um, this, pause. oh Yes, sorry, did I say lollies? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just FYI, this is a interesting pause button. It has nothing to do with OT and ABA. <laughs> this is a yeah. trans-international problem. Yes. Lollies are candies or suckers for the American audience out there. So- yeah, yeah. I became... Um- I was the the clinic that I was based at in Indiana for a period of time. I managed to convert everybody to calling them lollies. Lollies. Um, but I realised that, you know, you guys... Ice lollies are like icy poles, is yeah. that right? Is that what to say in America? Well, I'm no, they're actually popsicles. So. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so candies. So what was problematic about the candies is that he would chew them and then spit them out, which is, you know, everybody knows how just unpleasant that is, particularly if you're using coloured candies and then you get this, you know, unpleasant kind of coloured liquid all over your materials. So, you know, this is part of the problem is that he would take a lolly, he would chew it, and then he would spit it out. And it really was very interruptive to instruction, as you can imagine, but also it wasn't really motivating to him. It's just something that he would take. So, you know, this was a big part of our intervention. You can't teach effectively if you don't have something um, that's motivating to the child. And so very early on, you know, we identified that this kid had an interest in Google Maps and in particular building And he'd just never been taught to, you know, to use anything like a, he could use an iPad a little bit, but he'd never been used, taught to use a switch or any kind of gaming device. And so we had to target that. And literally we had it tied to the table (laughs) because, you know, he would throw that thing at your head if you just gave him half a second. I mean, I'm laughing, but it's not really funny because it's really unpleasant for everybody involved. And, And it's dangerous. You know, we had to take him to another location 
very distressing to his mum, obviously, and, yeah, and dangerous to anyone in his vicinity. So I, I didn't mean to laugh there. It's just that I can laugh about it now because he's just, you know, if you met him today, you would never believe that this kid had aggression in his repertoire only 12 months ago. So, yeah, so getting things that were motivating to him and, like, because he loved Google Maps and and looking at finding buildings and he was he became through as we started to instruct him and give him more language we found that he was really interested in you know underground train lines and and so we taught him you know over time how to use minecraft and how to build things and that allowed us to engage with him and yeah he just developed this amazing interaction and all of a sudden we had an ability to instruct him and yeah and compete with that aggression so his fine motor skills were really limited to pointing and swiping or sliding on an iPad? I mean, he was pretty proficient at throwing, let me tell you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, he'd get out a lot of practice at that. Mm-hmm. But two major things that really got in the way of working with this little guy was, yeah, he literally couldn't even hold a point and, you know, his... Uh, I'm not telling you anything new here, anybody that's listening to this about kids that, you know, have their whole hand open and very weak fingers and, even you know, closing those three fingers and, and making a point was very difficult. So then, you know, any sort of fine motor coordination where you're using any kind of gaming device requires, you know, a lot of right. coordination. So we literally, you know, we I had to learn how to use Minecraft. <laughs> I had to take Minecraft lessons in order to, you know, teach this kid and we just literally had to, you know, teach each component of moving this device to fluency Mm -hmm. while it was also attached to his wrist so that he couldn't throw it. So, yeah, so his fine motor skills were completely deficient and, Aditi, you would be much better at describing to me, you know, that complete lack of strength where the fingers are almost dangling off their hand. Yeah. Just very loose. And, of course, because of this limited repertoire of play, behavior and because his problem behavior was so severe first of all everybody would do everything for him so he wasn't getting any practice at you know he was being fed he was being dressed anything to reduce you know his rate of aggression that was the first thing and then second of all yeah nobody was would dare give him anything that would you know work on fine motor strength for fear of having you know being hit by it so it was this kind of double-edged sword but So do you know if the OT had tried any sort of sensory strategies or aspects that were addressed? Well, I guess because by the time she came along, we had, you know, done our assessment um, Mm. of the problem behaviour. And, you know, he, I think there's a, for the behaviour analysts there, they're they could kind of tune out for a little bit there. But like if we left him to his own devices, which sometimes we had to because our protocol, you know, um, where he was engaging in aggression involved not leaving him alone but, you know, removing ourselves for safety for a start from the cubicle, he would, and even when he had access to items, he would never throw things when left on his own. So it's not like, you know, you would walk away from the table and then he would pick up everything and throw it at the wall, you know, so it may have been what we would call kind of automatically reinforcing to him. Those items were always directed at a person. Mm. So, you know, straight away that tells you that it's a different you know, it's not self-stimulatory behaviour. His mother accounted to me, you know, he never threw things when left to his own in his room. Mm. What did he do when he was on his own? Not much, to be honest. He was really, what he wanted to do was to be taken in the car a lot and he had obsessions with shopping centres. So he want, his mum spent a lot of time 
walking him through shopping centres. And then before he came to us, he was at daycare and, you know, I never saw him there. He Mm. came to us, but I understood there was, you know, there was a lot of throwing of objects at other children and at his carers that, you know, often resulted in him having to be sort of isolated. So, wow, okay. So, Mandy, where does even anyone start with a situation like this? I think I would be quite lost. Where do you begin? Yeah, I guess you have to look at, you know, what skill can you teach that, you know, takes you to the next step to allow you to teach you know, functional skills. And one of the things this little boy couldn't do was sit and wait in the presence of a coach without engaging in aggression. So that's where we had to start. And, you know, I teach something called a red card, green card protocol. Other people have different versions of this, but whereby we teach kids to wait in the absence of self-stimulatory behaviour, you know, literally on a red card. Later on, we, we start with the card being so big and obvious so that it's a very clear indication that this is a period of time for work and for waiting, taking instruction, and then we turn the card to green and that means go nuts, have fun, relax, stim, you know, do all the stuff that you enjoy doing. So we, that's where we started with him. You know, we taught him initially to wait for, you know, literally half a second and eventually, you know, up to 45 seconds or I'm sure he could wait a lot longer. But in the presence of that card, he knows not to engage in self-stimulatory behaviour. And obviously teaching him to fold his hands competed with him picking up things and throwing them. So, you know, it was a, it's a, that's where we started is these early learning to learn skills so that he was accessible to us. Okay. And but how did that go? Like, what did you start with? Like 30 seconds? Literally in that protocol. Yeah. I have probably, I would not be surprised if I've done a million red card trials in my time. I would not be surprised because I do work with a lot of kids on the spectrum that have high rates of self-stimulatory behaviour. And so literally in those early sessions, we do a lot of practice. Okay, put yourself on red, which is like turning your card to red. Show me red strong sitting. I must say that, I don't know, thousands of times a week and wait. And yeah, and we just shape up this ability to wait in the presence of a, of a red card. Yeah. So, do they just get access to reinforcement when it's in the red card? When they go green. So, whatever you're asking them to do on red card, um, it's different for every client because you know we work with typical developing population as well, and even with kids not on the spectrum, we will use that type of protocol because it signals things like you can't talk about you know off limits. Yeah, conversational things right now. On green, you can talk to me about anything, but on red, we just need to talk about work right now. So red just means work, green means play. And, yeah, with him, we started just tiny weight intervals and we built up over time on a very thick schedule of reinforcement. And then, you know, once we had him waiting for about 20 or 30 seconds, we knew we would have the ability to do 20 or 30 seconds of work. So we started to introduce some very, very simple skills back then. He did have words, not a lot of functional language, but he did have words. So we were able to work on, you know, repeating words after us, following instructions. We worked to fluency, so we have timed intervals where we're asking, you know, for certain instructions to be completed. And slowly over, you know, weeks and months, we were able to build up the number of demands we put on him and access him, you know, initially with candies, mm-hmm. <laughs> lollies, but because the iPad he would consistently throw 
Mm. Which is surprising to me because、uh, you'd think he, you know, he gets access to maps and buildings. Why would he throw that? Well, he, you know, it was the only thing that he liked, and so you can imagine in other environments,、uh, he was getting it for free. So、oh, you know,、right. he was like, "I'm not going to work for it here if、yeah. I get it free." <laughs>、okay. So you know, we had to, and it's hard because you can't say to other environments, "Sorry, you." I mean, you can. You can ask and say, "Can you please reduce the amount of screen time?" But when a kid can't do much, you know, it's not fair to take it away. So that's where we had to really. You know, find something that was competing with just access to Google Maps. Okay.、Um, I accidentally showed him my Google Calendar one day, and that was a really big motivator <laughs> to him because he could work out which therapist he was going to be with at what time. Oh, smarty! And yeah, and while that later we had to kind of fade that out it, in the early days, that became really interesting to him because then he could work out where he wanted to know where everybody lived, approximately,、Ugh. you know. And how far that was on Google Maps, you know. It, so we started to develop this skill set that was reinforcing to him. Okay, so、mm-hmm. it sounds like there are several strategies that worked. What did not work, or what did you have to sort of re? Well, it sounds like the Google Calendar was something that didn't sort of eventually you had to fade out. But anything else? Well, because yeah, it became an obsession, and then you know it was quite interrupted to instruction because it was like, oh, who's with me on Thursday and who's with me next week? So that's where we started to build, you know, teaching Minecraft and building things, and then copying models off YouTube, etc. Over time, so that was you know, at the end of the day, motivators was everything because that allowed us. You know, to access him and enjoy things that he enjoyed. Whereas, you know, when he first started working with me, he didn't have anything, and also were terrified of getting hurt. You know, so you kind of you look calm on the outside, but you know, on the inside, you're sort of highly aroused, waiting to respond to the next potential thing that's going to hit your head. Or his favorite thing actually was shin kicking, which meant. You know, we had to work at a distance from him, which is tricky、mm-hmm. when you're trying to access, you know, fine motor skills、yeah. and stuff. But we had to have two tables between us because he would kick really, really hard into shins. And、mm-hmm. sorry, I went off track a little bit there. You were saying, oh, so what didn't work? Well,、right. what didn't work was, you know, in the early days, in my assessment, I thought that some of this behaviour was maintained by escape from the task. Mm-hmm. And so we used something that a behaviourist would call escape extinction, and there was an initial improvement in behaviour in the first four days, and then it got considerably worse. And you know, I, I re-looked at my interventions and was like, "Wow, this is attention maintained behaviour." And、mm-hmm. just because sometimes it's in the presence of an instruction, you know, like demands being placed on him, when we used an intervention to address the attention. We got really, really good long-term improvement in the behaviour. So I think that's one thing that that didn't work. The data told me it didn't work, and so we made a quick change. The other thing that really didn't work, and had every single person had used with him prior to coming with us, and I worked it out very early on in our intervention, was telling him the rules under which he could get breaks and rewards. Because he loved avoiding the rules, so、oh. he would be like, they would say to him, "Okay, you know, Sam, if you do this, this, and this, you can have your iPad." And he was like, "Great, then I'm going to do the complete opposite to that." You know, what sometimes we would refer to as a counter control kid. You know, if you say, 
black, I will say white. And if you say I'm going to get my, re- you know, my iPad under these conditions, then I'm going to do all of those things that, you know, prevent me accessing it because wow. he loved the attention. He loved the attention of it. And so we had to put in place, you know, invisible reinforcement mechanisms. So he didn't know when the reinforcer was coming and mm. it just really threw him. Because I remember him saying one day when he didn't actually have that much language, he said, because we have a a points clicker, like a golf counter that Mm -hmm. we, you know, keep points on for the kids. And he was like, he looked at me and he went, sometimes 50, sometimes 100. And I'm like, this kid is a genius because... He had worked out his variable, what we call a variable ratio of reinforcement. In other words, we had him on, we had this little calculator that we used, you know, and every single time he was earning points on a different number of points to cash in so he couldn't predict when the reinforcer was coming. Mm. But he kept looking at this clicker going, I can't work out when she's going to cash in. (laughs) And so that's something that had not ever worked because you know, immediately he, you know, they used to give him things like five stars where he was before or, you know, something that he knew when it was coming. And he found that much more reinforcing than the actual thing that he was getting, Um, talking about the behavior plan because he loved attention. And so, and then talking about what happened afterwards, he loved that too. You know, he'd say, Sam didn't get iPad. And then he would laugh hysterically (laughs) because he thought, you know, he was so much <laughs> cleverer than people that were implementing these, you know, reinforcement protocols. So even to this day, you know, we have an invisible reinforcement mechanism. He doesn't know. But what has become really reinforcing to him is communicating to the people that pick him up that he had a strong session. And so, you know, once upon a time, it was more reinforcing to talk about when he had a bad session and now oh. he will hold himself together through thick and thin to get that attention and talking about having a strong session. So, okay. So, yeah, that's there. So that's some of the things that didn't work. What were the early teaching goals that you had in mind? Because, you know, obviously now you've got him to somewhat engage. What comes next? You know, we were challenged, I guess, with him and he was at school part of the day and then came to us. So school were supposedly responsible for his um, academic instruction. But one of the things this little boy was completely missing, even though he had sort of sight word reading, was any reading comprehension. So he was, you know, he was really stuck in looking at YouTube, but not being able to read anything. And he was really interested in things like, you know, places of things and you know information about building roads for instance so you know we really wanted to open up his his reading comprehension so we started to work on you know very small component skills of reading sounding out words and then reading words and then starting to begin but the I guess what came before that was to address his high rates of eye stim because I think he had been well you know I was working with his pediatrician as well because it was kind of like an eye tick. His eyes would constantly flick up to any light or movement. Like I remember taking data on it. It was like a hundred times an hour. His eyes would flick to light or if light came in through a door or someone walked past and it created a shadow, you know, his, his eyes were just, I've just never seen anything like the rate of this eye movement. So we had to teach what we call a signal, which is getting his eyes under instructional control. So, you know, we use a pen 
it comes in direct instruction, uses signals for anyone that's familiar with um, direct instruction. But so it's just, you know, it's something that we could direct his eyes with. So we did a lot of practice at directing his eyes to us and directing his eyes to the material, directing his eyes to, you know, anything that we needed his attention to be focused towards. And we worked just like we worked on the waiting, you know, building intervals of waiting until he could work for 45 seconds. You know, we built his ability to respond to a signal for longer periods of time so we could direct his attention. And then, you know, we set um, per- well, we set goals for him to keep his eyes tracking materials because he would look up from the materials and then go back down and make mistakes. And if he made mistakes, he didn't like that. Mm-hmm. So improving his eye ticks made the most dramatic improvement in his aggression because he wasn't being corrected, so he wasn't getting negative attention from, you know, ah. having to repeat tasks. So, yeah, there was a combination of things going on there, but, get, but using those signals to direct his eyes made a huge difference to him. And then we were able to start target, you know, reading instruction and language instruction and, you know, having him be able to, yeah, converse with us through basic language. So, yeah, that were the very early learning goals for him. He had a real skill set in math, so we did program for math as well because it was particularly easy for him. Even though he didn't know that much, he just got it so quickly, skip counting and, you know, identifying numbers was he really liked it as well. So we interspersed, you know, those in amongst his program too. This episode of the ABN OT podcast is brought to you by Fit Learning Chicago, London and Perth, Australia. For more than two decades, Fit Learning has been combining the best of behaviour, cognitive and neuroscience to create one highly effective teaching methodology to transform children's cognitive and academic skills to create cognitively fit learners. They rapidly accelerate children's memory, attention, concentration and agility such that they can learn new skills effortlessly at school and beyond. They are known for reducing one to two years growth in as little as 40 hours. A fit comprehensive skills assessment can determine areas for growth that will transform a child's learning. See www.fitlearners.com and www.fitlearning.com.au to learn more about their program. Okay, so this is all sort of pre-collaboration with an OT, right? I'm assuming she started with just observing some of your sessions. That's right. How did you actually start the collaboration? So when, you know, I was pretty protective of this kid. I was working with the school as well. Fortunately, they're... There is behaviour analyst at his school, which is pretty rare in our state. So I was able to collaborate with the school, but then I didn't want anybody else touching, you know, literally working with him that didn't understand that his behaviour was maintained by attention, a lot of it anyway, and also how to address his self-stimulatory behaviour because obviously you need his, you know, eyes to be directed to materials when you're doing working on things like hand strengthening and also shoe tying. Yeah, so when mum said, I really want him to access some OT now, which I understood because he had virtually no self-care skills, he couldn't button his own his own clothing or feed himself and she'd become very used to helping with those things. So um, when the OT, when she suggested that, I said, will you work with someone that I can collaborate with? Can I find someone that will work with me and come to sessions here in our clinic where we have good, in, you know, good history and good instructional control and there's things he loves here? 
So we just set aside one session a week where the OT would come. She observed for about four weeks and I, you know, sat down and went through her behavior plan. And then I simplified the behavior plan for her because the rate of demand was going to be lower in her session. And she observed me. We used something that behavioralists will be familiar with, behavioral skills training, where I explained it to her. She practiced it with me. I gave her feedback. She observed me doing it with him. And then she did it with feedback after that. So the good thing is we found some things that he really liked doing with her. And in particular, she did her full assessment and, you know, we, we found together that his core strength was really poor and he wasn't holding himself up in the chair well or reaching for materials well. So he loved doing that. What do you call that, Aditi, those supine position and what's the other one? So the Superman and the meatball is what she would call it. Yeah. So they really bonded through that because he thought it was super silly. So they would get down on the floor together and do these, you know, these practice together, which I would do as well because it's so good for your stomach muscles. So we found a way in and they connected through that. And it wasn't too long, actually, before he was saying, OT is my favorite part of the week. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. So, yeah, so it was that really observation, feedback, simplifying the behavior plan because we had about five different schedules of reinforcement. There's just absolutely no way. You know, we're just fluent at that. We do it all day, every day. There's no way that she was able to use the full behavior plan, but we did a simplified version of it. And we had this cheat sheet that we created to remind her, and it worked really, really well. So did she, you know, does she understand the whole light switch and on and off? Did she start using that in her session with him? Yeah, she did. And, you know, I think, I mean, she's not here to defend herself, but at least in my observation, you know, and it's very frequently common is that you, a lot of people do the opposite to that. In other words, the child is engaging in problem behavior and then a lot of things occur after the problem behavior. Whereas when they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, you know, the things are just as normal. So, you know, I had to show it, okay, now's the time to go nuts, like, or have a party, right? He just followed your rule and he made, you know, he I, he gave you eye contact and he smiled at you, party time. Right. And so she was good at having a party. She's kind of, you know, or cr- providing attention. She's doing it at the wrong time, that's all. Yeah. I dare say OTs are good at that, at having a party. We are very well, good Well, not at that. just OT. Oh, good, OTs are good at having parties. Yeah, yes. great at having parties. You guys have lots of fun stuff to play with, you know. Who right. doesn't want to hang out in an OT box of stuff? All those <laughs> squeezy things with the eyes squishing out of them and, yeah. you know, you yeah, you have some cool things. So, yeah, she knew about the party and but teaching her about that, you know, light switch on so when he's doing what he's supposed to be doing, the you know, I, I give this discrimination to to parents as well, the light should shine on him, you know, your full face, all of the attention because he loves attention, you know, your best version of yourself, right, showered in light and all good things. And when he wasn't doing what he's supposed to be doing, a low voice tone, you know, turning away from him because his aggression is gone now, turning away from him and, you know, providing minimal attention until he was you know, starting to engage in work again. So that light switch on, the well, you know, the light shines on him when he's doing what he's supposed to be doing and then reducing attention when he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. So there, you know, there was some instruction in that. It was just not, you know, what she was familiar with. What other OT goals did you work on? Was it So it was basically you helped her with her assessment, but then did you guys identify some specific goals? Yeah, this was the really exciting part, I think. 
is that she was totally up for collaborating on being creative about fine motor skills. She did her assessment and I really loved what I learned through the process of that assessment. Cause I, now I don't think I've ever, maybe other than for my own daughter, which is a long time ago now, hadn't been sat in on a full OT assessment. So, you know, she gave me some good ideas, but then I was like, what if we do it like this, this, and this? Because in the precision teaching field, there is something called um, the big six, or now it's a big six plus six, or some people have the big eight plus six. But anyway, it's a big set of skills that I had been teaching him anyway, which is for crossing the midline and reaching for materials, very early hand manipulation skills. And for anyone that's interested in that in the IT world, there is, I'm sure, there is literature, I'll put that in our notes. There is research that's been published on the big six. So I was like, this is what I've been doing and what are some things that you would like to incorporate? And so we got really creative together and developed these sort of, I guess, SAM-friendly um, fine motor skills to specifically address the issues that we're having. And what we were trying to get to at the end of the day, other than handwriting, was shoe tying. Mm. So I do want to present a specific case study on that because it's like a you know, in terms of rewarding experiences I've had, that was right up there because literally the first time I ever put shoes down in front of him, this is before the OT was involved, he threw that shoe at my head <laughs> and pretty hard. So, like, I was like, I'm determined that we will get better at this because he literally could not even, you know, I know everybody teaches shoe tying differently, but I always get kids to grasp the ties at the base, of, you know, at the shoe right where they are and then pull them up. Mm-hmm. But he literally could not even hold on to those ties. That's how weak his pincer grip was. Mm. So we got creative in finding ways and a lot of it involved these accommodations that OTs do, but we used lollies, which was super awesome. So, you know, like getting him to have a fine, like holding a lolly in his three fingers so that he, he would, you know, make a, a pincer grip with both hands for grabbing the shoes. And then if he had, you know, personal bests on, on his shoe tying, he was allowed to eat those lollies or put them in a cup and have them later. And then in his handwriting, you know, one of the component skills we were doing was what we call rest tracks, you know, making sideways eights to get that pivots we call them you know getting pivoting pivoting the up and down movement of the pincer grip and so he would rest his we would uh, he loved this we would squash a jelly bean together jelly beans is one of his favorite candies and then we would squash it together to make it flat and then he would rest it on the the pad of his hand and that's another thing is he was really reinforced by the names of the parts of the hand so Maya was able to tell me about the web you know so um and yeah we taught him the parts of the hand so that he was very aware of which part of the hand he had to use for each of those skills but anyway lollies were candies were just (laughs) a really great reinforcer for him and there was lots of ways we could incorporate that into his fine motor strengthening so we did a combination of her fine motor strengthening goals. We used her core strengthening goals. And then we brought in um, the big six as well because we were working with him five days a week. She had his one session a week. So we would do all of these big six skills during the week. And then, you know, she would use her fine motor strengthening on that one day a week. So it's a really great collaboration. And I just remember Sam saying to me, when are you going to become an OT, Mandy? <laughs> So I, I, you know, I was becoming kind of a, yeah, by spending so much time um, with the OT, was starting to incorporate more OT goals and, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's sort of where I come in. You had, um, yeah, 
you and I had talked and we sort of consulted and started discussing fine motor aspects and all that, yes. uh, which actually leads me into our next episode. That's exactly what we're going to talk about in our next episode. Exciting. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited. This is when about I that. really started to love OT, is when, <laughs> you know, I learned more about hand strength and, you know, those things were that were really getting in the way of teaching effectively. Yeah, and I think that's one of the contentious issues that OTs sort of have is how can, you know, ABAs work on this? This is more our domain. Well, we're here to share the information and so we can help more clients. That's our goal. So the next episode, we're going to discover how ABA and OT collaborated on Sam's case on assessing fine motor skills and uh, give you an introduction to the type of OT assessments we talked about and used. Also engage on a collaborative dialogue on how to develop effective intercollaborative interventions for Sam, which um, Mandy already sort of alluded to. So, yeah, next episode should be brilliant. Exciting. So key takeaway from today, from my perspective, is the importance of assessing why a child is doing what they're doing and ensuring that the intervention is designed um, so that they're accessing the thing they want when they're not engaging in the problem behaviour and not accessing it when they are. And obviously, behavior analysts take data on that so they can make sure that their intervention is working. And I think I talked, the other key takeaway is thinking about um, addressing behavior using a light switch on and light switch off protocol. This works well with parents if this is something that you want to hand on to the parents that you're working with because generally you'll find parents do the exact opposite of that. I can say that because I'm both a parent and a therapist. (laughs) So I had to learn that skill over the last 16 years. But you know, you will find very frequently that is the opposite. So the light switch on, light switch off protocol, that's the key takeaway from today. And we have a copy of it in our our resources and our show notes. It will be there too. And it'll probably be accessible in our Facebook group too. Great. Thank you for yeah. that. Okay, well, thank you all for listening today. I hope uh, some of you or a lot of you have registered for our upcoming Deep Dive on sleep issues and the bedtime past. I'm so looking forward to this. I really want to share the evidence-based strategy that's so easy to implement to solve child's sleep issues once and for all. Thank goodness. It's on 27th of January at 7pm. Please find the link in the show notes or, of course, contact us on Facebook or our email. So remember, the most valuable resource we have as therapists is each other. Without collaboration, our growth is limited to our own perspectives. So hashtag collaboration over competition. Until next time, bye-bye from the Windy City. And hooroo from down under. 